You're listening to the Irish Times. When Line of Duty was over last night, Pat. No, no spoilers. spoilers. No spoilers. I turned on, I left the, the BBC channel on and it went to the, to the BBC News, the 10 o'clock news. Uh, good morning, everyone. Out of Time podcast. Malachi Clerkin here. Pat Nugent there. Hi. Uh, turn on the 10 o'clock news, and which I've got into the habit of over the past few weeks, watching the BBC News at 10 o'clock, because there's always some Brexit stuff or, you know, what's mm. next? You know, where, what, what have these idiots done today? The leading story on the BBC News was Tiger Woods. Was it, yeah. The top of the BBC News. Mm. Uh I'm a sports fan, Pat. I bow to nobody. I bow to nobody in the in in shaking my fist at the lack of uh, attention sports news gets sometimes. Still a bit much, I thought. Yeah, my phone lit up with all those notifications last night, and they weren't all from sports outlets. It was no. news outlets as well. That that's how big it was. It literally transcended sport. Yeah. Now, and of course, it transcended sport because. To, uh, to everybody, very much everybody, this is a good news story. Everybody loves loves Tiger coming back. I can see where you're going with this. Where am I going with this, Pat? Um, my intense dislike of Tiger Woods. <laughs> you have the floor, Pat. Yeah. What is it? I, I, I like a man who zigs when everyone else is zagging. Well, it should be pointed out that th- I'm, I'm not saying this because it's the morning after he won the major. I've been, You're not just being a contrarian. I've been consistent with this view for 15 years now or About so. About that, yeah. And uh, my mother tells me that you shouldn't ever use the word hate. So um, <laughs> so I'm going to say that uh, I've intensely disliked Tiger Woods since the very start. And part of it wasn't down to him. Part of it started when Earl Woods said that he was going to be more important to the human race than Gandhi. Yeah. That and I mean, to be me fair, off. you know, Who's right, who's wrong in that one? <laughs> Jury's still out. 15 majors later. How many know. majors does Gandhi have? Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah so th- that was definitely an issue at the start. And it does bother me the fact that he was put in a pedestal from the time and his complete refusal to engage with his race in any way, shape or form mm. always bugged me. Like if you want to see bravery and dealing and talking with race, look at Raheem Sterling for the mm. last couple of weeks and how he's put himself out mm. there. Like... Raheem Sterling has said more interesting things on the issue of race in the last week than Tiger Woods has in an entire career. Especially since uh, when he began. Like the the original Nike ad that mm. introduced Tiger Woods to the world was, there are some courses in this country where I can't play on because of the colour of my skin. Are you ready for Tiger Woods kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. It, like it was, and he just turned his back on that. Completely. It w- and it was just built into, him, built into him by Nike, who I'm pretty sure have manufactured his entire personality. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that Tiger Woods has the personality himself. Mm. Uh, like yesterday, the stage managing of, of, of his celebrations really annoyed me. Like for one thing, he, was, he said about how, how his kids was meant to be playing in a soccer tournament and he, oh, but we, brought, we said, hey, why don't you come down and watch the Masters? And it just so happened that we have matching gear for my entire family so that I can cry with them. <laughs> yeah, okay, it, do, it does sound like I'm being very bitter. But no, no, I, no, no, keep going. This is also the guy who earlier this year had a 9 million playoff against one other golf player. Mm. Like, it's, it's obnoxious amounts of money, mm-hmm. uh, for one thing. And I, again, Nike were behind that. And I know everybody, his affairs 
are obviously a big deal. But I think the part of the, his affairs that I objected to the most was, again, Nike coming out and stage managing his response. You know, I, That was a low point. That, that was the low point. It just seems spineless, again. Yeah. Like if, and that's the thing. Tiger Woods is popular in golf mm. because he is the rising tide that lifts all boats. Mm. Like the reason that players on the US PGA that we've never heard of have second and third mansions mm. is because of Tiger Woods. Mm. They'll never beat him, but they'll be happy to see him win because look at the money that he's brought mm. into the sport. And I refuse to believe that a lot of the backslapping from last night wasn't just them saying, oh, well done, Tiger. It was them thinking, cool, that's that's that mortgage sorted. I I will never make you read Tiger's book um, because uh, the book that came out about him last year. Oh, yeah. Um, because uh, it would only be more fuel for your hatred of him. Because I remember reading it at a time when he was starting to to come back last year and, and he was contending at the players and he was contending somewhere else. And I, I remember distinctly remember sitting there on a Sunday night reading this book that is about how much of a dick this guy is and like there's no doubt like like as his rise to fame grew he just became more and more of an asshole uh, meanwhile I was looking up at the screen going oh go on Tyre go on and it, it presents a really interesting thing I think that you you examine yourself as somebody who watches these things happen you watch the sport like, there is there is no way I could watch that yesterday and not just marvel at the story of it. Mm. Whatever about wanting them to win, not wanting them to win. But the story of it, like as a journalist, you root for the story, I guess. Um, and yet, exactly like you're saying, in the back of my mind, I was just going, oh, this guy was such a prick. Like, why? <laughs> it It is a, a real, uh, there's a real tension there between... Uh, you know, kind of getting all this soft focus, uh, emotional uh, stuff for this guy who, who, you know, at times doesn't deserve it as a human being. And I'm not questioning the fact that as a golfer, he clearly deserves it. Like mm. to come back from the injuries that he's done has been incredible. And for him to, you know, to chalk up this 15th major, mm. like it's an absolutely phenomenal achievement. And the way that he, like from about on the back nine yesterday, he had such a cold-blooded way of looking at it. You knew he was going to win. Like, it is really, really impressive in a sporting way. I don't question that at all. Mm. I just question everything else. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh, well, uh, later on, we're going to be talking to uh, Gavin Comiskey and Jerry Thornley uh, about the Heineken Cup semifinals to come. But there is really only one place for us to start uh, here this morning. And uh, Philip Reid... Took all of that in over in Augusta, and he joins us now. Philip, good morning. Good morning, bright and early. Bright and early. How are you keeping? What a day! What a day! I must say, last week uh, I was just, uh, you know, generally jealous of you going to cover Augusta. But uh, sitting watching it yesterday, uh, as a day to be sitting there and having something to write about, hard to beat that now. It is, yeah. Like Tiger Woods moves to dial like no other player I don't know in sport but certainly in golf he is just like he is the big cat you know there's no other way of putting it and uh, we got glimpses of it last year at the Open Championship in Carnoustie we got an even bigger glimpse of it last year at the PGA in Belle Reve when the crowds were, were just crazy 
But then yesterday, like, not only did we get a glimpse of it, but he opened the door and he just took us, you know, he took the whole place by storm. And from an early stage in that back nine, when people realised that, you know, he was in this, he was in the middle of it, and he was the main man again. Like, it was just electric. Like, the roars reverberated around the place. Like, I don't think... I don't think Augusta National has ever experienced anything like it. You know, the, the noise was exceptional. And then when he did claim that lift, green jacket, you know, Tiger, the exuberance on that 18th green, like, you know, he just soaked it all in. And, you know, it's fantastic atmosphere. And then the whole family by, by the green side again, you know, it's just almost like the... Just, the whole thing had come for the circle from 1997, uh, you know, when he, when he won his first one. So it was just one of those great sporting days and one of those great stories of comeback, of redemption, of, you know, just about anything you can think of, you know, as he, as he proved himself again, like he is the king when it, when it comes to it. Uh, let's for a minute lift uh, lift lift the cloud of uh, of emotion that surrounded it. When When you break down... That back nine. Um, this was a real old style Jack Nicholas major for him, wasn't it, Philip? Like Nicholas always had this the, this famous line about uh, the way you win majors is you hang around and make no mistakes and let everybody else make the mistakes for you. Like so many of them were in with a shout, and so many of them just just collapsed at exactly the wrong moment. Yeah, it was incredible. It was. Um as you say, it was. It was like hanging around in a marathon race and just picking off the off the men as you're going along and then finishing the job. But, uh, you know, your heart, in a way, would go out to Francesco Molinari because he played so well mm-hmm. for three and a half rounds. And then to have two double bogeys, you know, seemingly from nowhere, uh, he was caught out definitely. It was an advantage to Woods that he wasn't first off the tee in the 12th because the wind was swirling and, you know, seeing what happened Molinari there, you know, he was able to, you know, to take stock and uh, ensure he was on the green. But, yeah, it, it was just, as you say, there, was, there were some players in the running, you know, even up ahead, you had you had the young guns, you had Patrick Cantley, who got the fright of his life when he realised he was top of the board and went bogey, bogey. Sander Shoffley played some fantastic golf right through the championship and, and played it with a smile on his face, you know, it was, you know, it, it, like, he actually grabbed a moment and uh, then you had Dustin Johnson finishing the way he finished and uh, Brooks Coppy, another who went into the water on 12, you know, he'll, he'll probably be looking back and wondering how the heck did that, that get away on me, but when all is said and done, the last man standing, and uh, for a guy that wasn't able to stand pretty much two years ago or three years ago after he went on, after he underwent surgery, and it was quite an achievement. Yeah, Philip, on the front of the paper today, we have a panel of numbers, you know, Tiger's victory in numbers, 14 years between Woods's fourth and fifth Masters wins, uh, 1,199 Woods's ranking in the world in November 2017. But arguably, I thought the most shocking number to see on it was four. The number of back operations that Tiger Woods has had since March 2014. Like, can you put that into context? That's, it's, it's staggering for him to bounce back from such serious work and surgery, isn't it? Well, it's quite 
quite incredible. You know, he also had four uh, knee surgeries. But uh, as you say, Pat, the, uh, the back surgery is the one that is quite phenomenal because the, the, the last one really was uh, a make-or-break job. It was a spinal fusion. And in fairness to Woods, like, he's given complete credit to the, to the uh, medical uh, team, to the surgeon who carried out the, the procedure a number of years ago because it was at a stage where he thought he'd probably never play again. Like, you know, he struggled after the surgery, you know, t- to walk. It, uh, I know Nota Begay, who's one of, probably one of his best friends, uh, like recalls calling to his house one day and Tiger couldn't get up out of the chair to go and collect the kids from school. And basically he had to help them into the car, recline the seat, and then he drove the car because Tiger simply couldn't get, get around. But what was, what was really noticeable yesterday was, uh, like, Tiger through the years has He's been pretty much a loner. Like, you know, he's, he's, David Duval probably could have been classified as a friend at one stage. Knows McKay definitely going back to their colleges. But when he won yesterday, it was, you know, it was interesting to see the number of guys across generations who were there waiting to see him and waiting to congratulate him. Like, you know, the range from uh, Justin Thomas up to Bernhard Langer and even Ian Poulter, like, you know, a guy who... Uh, himself and Tiger wouldn't have had the best of relationships through the years was amongst those there waiting to congratulate him. And Tiger, you know, you know, he shook hands, he hugged, he kissed, he did basically everything that you expect from a normal guy was after having a fantastic win and who really enjoyed the moment and basically when you're winning these things you have to enjoy them. And I think Tiger probably enjoyed this one better than me is one any of the previous one. One one of the interesting things when people were talking like over the weekend about how unlikely this might be for Tiger, like there's this, to a certain extent, I even decided about sort of six months ago that that he had let go of the idea that he could do it. Like like for instance, Philip, he's the he's the president's cup captain for the states later this year. Uh, like. No way does peak era Tiger Woods or even 2013 comeback Tiger Woods countenance being the President's Cup captain. Uh, and yet, that to me sort of said that that he kind of thought, I'm kind of done. You know, at the at the very, very highest level, I'm, I'm kind of done. I'll hang around. I'll obviously try my best to play well in the majors. But, but like, now he, <laughs> he's going to have to play in the bloody President's Cup. Yeah, I, th- I think he's probably up to ninth or so in, in the. I think provisionally six. You know, provisionally six. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is he? Mm. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, whether he's going to play or not, uh, I, I, I don't know whether he can be a captain and a player in the modern age. Mm. But uh, I think you're right. He probably can contemplate the fact that he he, he will be a player. You know, even touching on Ryder Cup, where he uh, he asked to be a vice captain of Ryder Cups because. He didn't think that he was going to be good enough to get onto teams anymore, and that's that's where he was coming from. But it was probably all part of the uh, rehabilitation process as well. That you know, su- surround yourself uh, with, with the best players and be part of a team environment, which in a way is alien to how he was brought up because he was very much uh, a man for himself and like golf probably is the most selfish sport of all and Tiger was probably the most selfish of all in that sport so you know he's 
you've seen the benefits of being part of the team environment by associating yourself with other players and what friendships can actually do. And, uh, you know, I think that was one of the reasons that he, he took the captaincy of the President's Cup. And uh, now that he's probably he's definitely good enough to play in it, really or won't he, we'll have to see. But uh, it certainly adds a lot to uh, the President's Cup. And I'll tell you what, it's going to add a lot to the Open Championship in uh, Wild Port Rush too, because... Uh, you know, who knows by then, uh, it's going to be the last uh, major of the season. And what's Tiger going to do in Page and what's he going to do in Pebble Beach where he's so much history and uh, success in the past? Philip, let's give yourself some credit here. You actually speculated uh, on this programme last week that Tiger had been tailoring his build-up specifically for Augusta. Uh, your, your theory was borne out quite well. Well, it was just the evidence of uh, how he had been it seems as if he was playing some events almost with Augusta in mind in terms of that he wasn't uh, taking out driver at, on some holes and he was leaving himself longer approach shots. Who knows um, You know how much it really factored into the thing, but what we did see over the last uh, four days, and especially uh, on the back nine yesterday when, you know, as Matt was saying, he picked off players as as he went along, which is the old-style way of doing it. It's the way that Jack Nicholas did it. It's the way that Nick Fowler did it. And it, it was almost a different side to, to Tiger Woods. It showed the maturity that he has. And I think the way that he is prepared this season is probably a lesson that can sort of, well, hopefully someone like Rory McIlroy could look, see what Tiger Woods has done, and... Uh, Maybe prepare because Rory didn't really turn up uh, over over the last four days. Uh, he made far too many mistakes, and on a course like this, especially a soft course, the way it was like it seemed to be tailor made in a way for Rory because the way he was set up. But he made far too many mistakes, and uh, he wasn't at the races. He was finished on the ninth hole long before uh, the really business end of the tournament was done yesterday. Um, Phil, one thing I wanted to ask you: you've been around. Uh the game and around these majors for a long time now, for most of Tiger's career. Um, did you like? Did you think that the, that this day was was out of bounds? You know that that this would something like this could happen again. Or and if you did, when did you start thinking that again? Uh, to be honest, uh, I only figured uh, last year when he when he started. Uh, competing as, as well as he did, not so much at the Open, but the way that he played at the PGA in uh, Belle Reve, okay, he came up short that day, but there was just something about the the way he approached that tournament, the way he got himself into contention, and the way that he stayed in contention for so long, okay, ultimately uh, Brooks Kopka went on to win that and, you know, it, but then for Tiger to go on and win the third championship in Atlanta last year, he held off Rory McIlroy, Rory who was playing superbly at the time. He held him off and uh, he won that championship. And that was probably the deal breaker in terms of, okay, I'd say even for Tiger realizing, you know, I'm good enough to be really top players on their game. And uh, it's a bit, it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's like the old Tiger because the old Tiger certainly around the, the 2000s and going forward was just on a different planet to everyone else but what it's done is that it gave him the belief that when the chips were down 
And as we saw over the last four days, particularly on a course like the Augusta National, where he's now won five times, it's just one short of Jack Nicholson's record six. You know, it's just, you know, he, he as I said at the start, he is the big cat. And when the big cat is not really purring, when he's roaring, there's no one else really in the game. This is it, you know, like like... Whatever about, you know, general sports fans sitting watching Tiger Woods win yesterday and it's great and, it, you know, I, I would say you're, you're around golf people there, around golf industry people. A lot of wide smiles after this in, 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 in the golf business. Like this, you know, you look around all the, all the newspapers today, literally nobody else winning that tournament would have made the front page of all every newspaper in in the world. You know, this is it 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 lights such a fire under the sport when he's like this. Well, you've hit the nail on the head there because uh, going back to just how selfish uh, golf is, no one uh, greased the palms of players, so to speak, mm. as much as Tiger Woods because it was the Woods factor that brought prize money to what it is today was would the Woods factor that brought so many corporates into into golf sponsorship, uh into television, into so many other areas of it. And once Tiger is around now you can see that uh, it's gonna give a bounce to the whole sport and uh with Tiger doing what Tiger is doing, it's gonna be a feed so the whole effects are gonna feed on, certainly to the elite players. And uh, for a generation of kids, maybe who got the opportunity to to watch the golf yesterday, you know, it's uh, like I, I'm sure it has to be inspiring, you know, like because they're, pr- they're probably wondering, like, you know, if their dads or moms were talking about Tiger Woods, they're probably wondering who the heck is Tiger Woods. Mm. Like now they know that he's more than just a video game, yeah. and uh, it's like it's not someone that they you know from the games consoles. That this is a guy who actually is one of the superstars. Not just of golf, but of sport, and hey. uh, the atmosphere yesterday I think can only be good for. He might even he might even make it back onto the front of his own video game. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might. <laughs> That's true. Not glory off his perch. Not glory off his perch. Listen, Philip. Thanks a million for that, and uh, I know it's been early mornings for you the last two weeks, but thanks a million. Take care of yourself. Following the events of last year, Israel was warned formally and repeatedly about the expectations of him as a Wallaby and a Waratahs player with regards to social media use, and he has failed to meet those contractual obligations. It was made clear to Israel in writing... That voice you heard was Raylene Castle, the CEO of Australian Rugby, and we will, of course, get on to talking about the Heineken Cup semi-finals in a little bit. Um, but Israel Falau is the... I guess the biggest story in rugby at the minute, and Jerry Thornley and Gavin Comiskey are here to start talking about that. Gav, it's it's sort of mad that this has happened again, really. Um, he's still retweeting this morning and defending himself. Um, he did. He attacked. He said homosexuals were going to hell last year before he signed his multi-million dollar contract, and it was put into the contract, and it was warned to his face after they. They bit down and they, they accepted it because Australian rugby and the Wallabies need him so much. They said, don't do this again. And I think, um, I'm open to be corrected, but I think this was sparked by a law in Tasmania which allows a 16-year-old without parental consent to choose their sexuality came into law. And uh, Israel Falau subsequently tweeted 
The devil has blinded so many people in the world. Repent and turn away from your evil ways. Turn to Jesus who will set you free. And then he completely doubled down and attacked. I think he covers pretty much everyone in Australia. <laughs> when he goes... It's not just Australia, <laughs> yeah, in fairness. Yeah. Let's just focus on the Australians <laughs> yeah. for today because we're gonna. this does get up into into this weekend's semi-final because of Billy Vonopola uh, supporting it. But the Instagram post which Billy Vonopola supported and a number of several, many other rugby players, which is the most disturbing aspect of it, not the clubs or the, the unions, said. Uh, Israel Folau says put up a tweet saying warning about uh, that hell awaits homosexuals, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists, drunks, idolaters uh, and so forth. Um, and atheists. Yes, and atheists, of course. Um, and he's... I don't have the energy for most of that anymore, but uh, there was a time. He stood over this. Uh, he stood over it and he w- he's gone back to his church. And do you know what? It was worth kind of digging a little bit deeper into his mm. background. There's a couple of pieces. I actually tweeted it over the weekend about his family and he's come from this really strict background from his father and religious background where he turned away, turned towards his strict Christian beliefs. Um, but he contradicts himself all the time when he's mm. getting into his uh, Mercedes and his Asics yeah. contract and all his deals and everything. <laughs> this constant contradiction. He's covered in tattoos. Yeah. You know, so we isn't that go, in the Bible? You're not supposed to be doing on. that sort of carry-on um, as well? Steve Hansen came out t- uh, today, the All Blacks coach, and said there's a piece missing in the jigsaw there with Izzy F- Falau. Um, right. uh, it is the guidance of who who is guiding him and how he's guiding himself now at this stage. And a couple of years ago, he broke free of his father and moved out of that mansion into another mansion um, and left his parents there. Um, I taught Wayne Barnes, or sorry, Wayne Barnes, taught Stuart Barnes in the Sunday Times. He, he kind of grasped what's happening a little bit in his column on the weekend when he talked about how, he was talking about European colonialism in the Pacific Islands and its lasting impact. And he goes, the missionaries uh, taught the islanders to believe in our Christian God of empire. We moved on. The empire came to an end. But in those Pacific Islands, God is a very real entity and belief absolute. Um, and he talks about how we're, um, we're, it's foolhardy to judge one age from, from the perspective of another. Um, and what has been heard here in the 21st century is the sound of the Victorian Empire, our induction and lasting longer than empire itself. We are shouting at ourselves across the ages. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I think he captures what's happening yeah. here a lot because they, there's the, a, deep, a deep belief in their Christian faith and it's a strict faith sure. from Pacific Islanders. But the thing is, nobody has any problem with strict faiths in general. You know, if you, you, your religion is your own, your faith is your own, enjoy it as you see fit. People aren't annoyed at Israel Halau for, Falau for his religion. They're annoyed at his hypocrisy. Mm. Yeah, The hypocrisy is what rings out. Yeah, look, completely. Look, Nigel Owens spoke at, there's a union cup in DCU um, for LGBT community mm. in June. Week, and the yeah. day before all this, before mm. he tweeted on Instagram, Nigel Owens was in Dublin talking about it. Because he came from this uh, really Welsh uh, rugby background and he felt that he, because he was gay, he went, left his house with a loaded shotgun and was 20 minutes away from putting it into his mouth and pulling the trigger mm. when he was a younger man, okay? And he felt now, he, and he was speaking a day before this all happened about how he, he wouldn't be refereeing, he wouldn't be involved in rugby if he didn't feel it was inclusive. But something like the Union Cup is needed for the LGBT community because they don't feel safe going to their local clubs and their communities. What Israel Falau has done and what Billy Vanapola has done to back this up has people like a young Nigel Owens 20 years later mm. in fear of their mm. safety. Mm. They are now in fear of their safety if they go to a rugby club. It's a shameful week for rugby. It's a shameful week for the sport. 
what Raining Castle has done, Rugby Australia, what Sarsons did coming out and saying we don't believe in what Billy Bonapola said. Um, it goes on and on and on. But it actually goes deeper because like Courtney Laws came out and said, I don't uh, believe in what Falau or Billy Bonapola said, but I support their right for free speech. This is not free speech. Mm. This is hate speech. Mm. And there's a distinct difference that must be made. Jerry, it is kind of depressing this week that Billy Vanapolo came out um, well, basically in support uh, of Falau, uh, head of he of course should be playing for Saracens on Saturday against Munster. It's depressing in this day and age. It really is just depressing that we're having this debate that, that Israel Falau and Billy Vanapolo sparked this conversation. It's encouraging at least in the, in the official response from Rugby Australia and Saracens to distance themselves from these comments because at its core, Gavin's hit the nail on the head. It's it's drenched in homophobia and it makes young gay people really fearful of coming out. They already would be fearful, particularly if they're involved in any way, shape or form with a sport like rugby, which is so macho. And to have somebody like Israel Falau's got to understand that he's hero worshipped by a lot of young people. He's a true hero of Australian rugby. He's probably their most exciting player. He's probably their best attacking player. He's one of the few Australian players that would walk into any other side in the world. Um, he's a hero in three sports. Yes, He's a huge yeah. hero in that country. So for, for young people questioning their sexuality, like what, what kind of damaging effect does his comments have? That's the core of the matter for me here. Um, I, I despise this kind of strict interpretation of supposedly, quote, Christian, unquote, beliefs. Mm. I would have thought Christianity would be more forgiving than that. Any kind of Christian beliefs would be more forgiving. And people should be encouraged to be themselves, not to be living in fear of this kind of these kind of views. I just think they're abhorrent. I don't like them at all. And uh, like I said, I don't think they're particularly Christian. And um, it certainly wouldn't bother me if I don't see him in an Australian rugby union shirt next year's Do you know, I think, that, does he think he's Muhammad Ali? Uh, Has oh, he got yeah. us into his yeah, brain? Yeah. Except that Muhammad Ali just didn't want to kill any Viet Cong, mm. you know. Uh, is, but Falau almost seems that he's, because like, today, but that's what there was saying. a debate on Morning Australia this morning and Falau, and there was a person, you have to get on one person defending and one person course, against yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. Falau retweeted. So he's still actively out there saying it. He thinks that... Uh, he thinks he's doing the world of the word of God now. He thinks he's a preacher. It's so warped. It's frightening. Uh, let us move on to the rugby. Do, uh, as a matter of interest, will Billy Vinopola play for Saracens in the weekend? Do we know? Um, Good question. I imagine he will. Mm. Um, if you have to make me think, I'd say he will. Yeah. Uh, he. What he said was, which was quite disturbing was he said I support I support his right for free speech and all that but he also turned around and he said man was made for a woman to procreate that was the goal no yeah. so that's something that he, he, and again Stuart Barnes went back to me he goes let's not throw him to the wolves mm. let's not attack him abuse is not the answer let's br- keep him in the fold he was meaning the Eddie Jones England fold <laughs> uh, and try and educate him that, that what you're doing is dangerous to people who haven't made up their minds so I, Saracens have distanced themselves from it and I'd be amazed if he's not playing number eight yeah. for them in the Riach against Munster because he's their, one of their best players and well, let's dig in. that team you're allowed to make one mistake as Falau proved yeah. and not get dropped <laughs> so maybe if Billy Vonopola doubles down he won't be playing well, in the let's, World Cup. let's dig into that game Jerry for a start where, where it's, a, it's a huge task for Munster going yeah. over there now isn't it mm-hmm. yeah Saracens are have looked like the favourites really all season long for this competition um, they've won it before recently, twice. Uh, they're like a machine when they get going. Like You can be like Glasgow and throw a lot of darts at them and keep throwing good darts at them and they just come back with howitzers. And they get on a roll and they can score three tries in ten minutes. They're just, they, they attack from every angle. They've got, they, they take all the boxes. They're a lions-infused pack. 
They've got a great power game, and they've really added a few strings to their bow in the last few years as well. I think they like that they're they're an exciting team to watch. They're very potent on the edges. Um, the only thing I would say is that in in times past, history has shown us that if you get a, if you win a quarterfinal very comfortably, mm. as opposed to you win it narrowly, it doesn't necessarily follow that the favourites in semi-finals therefore go out and thrash the team that just came through a quarter-final. You think back just to the two Leinster-Munster derbies in 06 and 09 at the semi-final stages. In 06, Leinster went to lose and won a cracking game, 40-odd, mm. 30-odd. Yeah. And meanwhile, Munster were, you know, I was actually at the Munster-Perpignan game and Munster like won 15-9 or something. It was a real dogfight, two heavyweight packs going toe-to-toe. And Leinster actually went into that semi-final as favourites right. on the back of that. It, yeah. But sometimes winning a tight quarter-final stands more to you. You look at what Connacht did last week, just winning 6-5 in Zebra. But that was very valuable in terms of coming up in a tight game against Cardiff. Roll on three years later, mm. and we all remember Bloodgate. And Leinster only beaten Harlequin 6-5 away. Meantime, Munster produced probably the best performance they've ever produced in Europe. They beat, yeah. they beat Ospreys that 43 was their That was their peak, actually. That was their peak. Yeah, was their, that was yeah. just after nine of them had been picked in the Lions squad. They absolutely obliterated an Osprey side with loads and loads of Lions in it, or like a really strong Osprey side. Three weeks later, they were hot, hot favourites. They were defending champions. Um, they'd had the Indian sign over Leinster for years, mm. and Leinster came out and beat them 30 points to six. Very often winning a tight quarterfinal, like Munster did in Edinburgh, can stand to a team. And the other thing that gives me great hope for Munster is it's in the Rico Arena. You know, it's, it's going to be like a home match. Munster will travel in huge numbers again there, the Red Army. And uh, I wouldn't rule it out. I'd say uh, Saracens are definitely favourites, but Munster have got a good they, chance. They have a real chance. Uh, it, Saracens have proved that it takes almost two years to recover from a Lions tour when you're the powerhouse, most powerful team in Europe. Did six players. Vonapola didn't even... Billy Vonapola didn't go uh, on the tour. He, was, he pulled out injured. Um, and they just... Itoje has only just been back to himself this year. So what Leinster did to them last season, tearing them apart and scoring three brilliant tries. Mm. It was pieces of brilliance from uh, James Ryan, uh, James Lowe, uh, to actually beat them. And it was also uh, Sexton holding, going eye for eye, toe for toe with Owen Farrell in the kicking stakes. So when it all breaks down, I think Munster will definitely hold parity with them. I think they'll they'll not get torn apart like racing did to them in last Mm -hmm. year's semi-final. But it comes down to Tyler Blainhall, mm. who's playing very well, who is getting all this credit for being a coach behind the scenes and everything like that. But there's a reason why Joey Carberry was signed. You yeah, know? sure. And while Saracens are going to be without um, Mako Vanapola, mm. who is almost as big a loss mm-hmm. as Joey Carberry is. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like he, is yeah. probably, he is the best loose head in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he's established himself as that. Yeah. So Saracens, and there's so much to them at the moment, they're being investigated for... Uh, uh, co-investments breached. they've breached whether they breached the uh, salary cap the salary cap of 7 million and they actually it's it's quite an interesting if you look at the story they showed they brought Premiership Rugby in to show them everything and they accidentally which they've admitted to now they accidentally showed them the co-investments that Nigel Ray has with Owen Farrell and the Bonapola brothers where they buy property together oh, Basically, really? up to, it's about 7 figure, figure on top of your wages which is kind of means they don't get it's nothing to do with it's the salary proxy, cap yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. and uh, they showed Premiership Rugby this by accident somebody Oops. so somebody in Sars, somebody in Sars <laughs> got a little bit of trouble for that one and sort of re, in the investigations reopened very good work by the Daily Mail uh, on this t- to uncover all this story so there's a lot going on behind the scenes but where everything that Saracens have done to construct this empire uh, this, this era it's being questioned now um, which is probably not good for Munster because they'll have circled the wagons like you wouldn't have mm. believed um, they've the likes of Skelton and uh, Schalkberger will probably come off the bench. He's thirty six now and all that. But again, I keep going back to it. Conor Murray will, even if Conor Murray finds form, if everything comes back to what we know, 
I think we're going to see the Saracens that tore that tore Munster down in 2017, as opposed to the Saracens that Leinster beat in 2018. And it means Tyler Blainhall has to perform like the player people in New Zealand thought he was the next Dan Carter for six, seven years ago, and that never came, that never happened, and he's been cursed by injuries, and now he has to go and show he's the, he's the man who could end up in a World Cup squad well, for Ireland. Yeah, the quarterfinals were interesting because they were the weekend of the understudy out halves, weren't they? Uh, Ross Byrne and. Uh, um, even you know Dupont shifting to ten or whatever that after the sending off, mm. um, it's just an interesting weekend. And what Blaindale did in Edinburgh was extraordinary. The way he did, like I'd say, a lot of people were worried when Carberry went off, and the way he came on, and the, what he did in that second half, the way he nailed that long touch finder, the way he regathered the line at himself from the overthrow, the way he set up the try, and then the way he nailed the touchline conversion. He was he he has got the temperament. They for couldn't have asked for more. For remind him, us what a good player he was no, he, two he, seasons ago. He's a fine player, but there is there is two, there's a couple of games where he was being heralded as the next Dan Carter for the Crusaders. Granted, he was much younger. He's 28 now. I think mm. he's about 23, and he tanked in a cru- big Crusaders game, and, and they kind of passed him out. They dropped him after that, and in that Saracens game two years ago, he, it's not his fault. Uh, Munster were down to one scrum half, and their pack was getting obliterated. Mm. Yeah. And but he played a poor game. Yeah, there's yeah. no no way out of that one. Not not many people had a good one. So he has a chance to kind of to take the step forward. I always remember Axel raving about him over the phone to me. No, Axel just thought yeah. this guy had it all. You know, not, and the great the great Axel Foley quote is: "He's uh, rugby players are not a piece of meat." When he had neck surgery and he signed him anyway, and they've kept faith with him, so he's a chance to pay them back. Interestingly, is Sexton fit? Do we know? Like, well, Leo actually seemed genuinely positive about it yeah. last Friday. Um, at their press conference with Sean O'Brien, he genuinely did that. The, the Johnny trained fully Thursday and Friday. It was in good spirits. Never won a European go. title without him. You no, know? and if you look through all the European titles that have been won, invariably there's a great number ten. Whether it's Matt Gitto or Johnny Wilkinson with you don't Toulon, pack, yeah, you, you don't you, pack your way through. Well, you just think of all the yeah. Ar- just think of the Irish triumphs yeah. and the outhaves involved: David Humphreys, Ron O'Gara, Johnny Sexton. You know, then you add in. You can't band it up that one no, position. No, it's yeah. just it's been a weird, consistent team of this Heineken Cup. So Saracens a, v Leinster. The, yeah, <laughs> a the best team in Verby wins it. You don't fluke a Heineken Cup, mm. even though there's a knockout element to it. You, the best team always wins the Heineken Cup. Mm. Just, it's a weird one. You might not always say that about World Cups and rugby. You know what I mean? You can get surprise, one-off surprise in a lot of competitions and knockout stages. But for some reason, the best team in the Heineken Cup always wins out, and they usually have a world-class number ten. I know, Jerry, it's hard when a game is six days away, but um, Leinster 2 is on Sunday. There's so many players being rested and given a break and recovering from knocks. Do we know what kind of a team Leinster are going to put out on Sunday? Well, be very close to their quarter-final team and the, and the Heineken Cup teams they've been playing all along. I mean, with Sexton coming back in for Ross Byrne, I'd imagine it would be Rob Carney full-back, Jordan Larmer. Be interesting to see what they do with their two from three. Jeez, they're just a better team with James Lowe there. Mind you, Adam Burns... A I don't think they would have potent. beaten Saracens last year without James Lowe on mm. the pitch. Now, they ended up winning the European Cup without him on the pitch mm. in Bilbao. But um, they, if you go back and look at the way they beat Saracens, it was a line break by him and it was a try. His, mm. He scored their third try. They also wouldn't have won the game probably without Dan Levy. Mm. So if you, you're, they've lost, definitely lost one of those players from their European winning team. Mm. So it's a, they, every time it's be, it, Leo's been... Presented with that, Leo Cullen's been presented with that choice. He's gone with Gibson Park yep. and he's dropped low because mm-hmm. Fardy's undroppable. I think mm-hmm. we're in agreement mm-hmm. there. As in, he's gone with James and mm-hmm. Gibson Park on the bench. Gibson Park last week instantly goes, I can't wait till this bloody law is over because yeah. <laughs> he's, he's Irish in inverted yeah. commas this summer. Say so James Lowe can't wait either. Um, so you know, I don't know, what do you think? Deb Toner's uh, back, you see, that adds an interesting yes, uh, mix. So you know what I mean? Nick and McCarthy Robbie Henshaw's back as Nick well. McCarthy gets the Munster Brown, Nick McCarthy gets the bench and James and Gibson Park gets left off. Logo's mm-hmm. the left wing. 
Like that's they're a better attacking team with James Lowe there. Any yeah. team would be. Yeah, they need it. T- Toulouse uh, had this unbelievable game against Clermont. Yeah. while you were all watching the golf. Mm. Um, Forty-seven, forty-four. Uh, but they went, they went, they went, they went, they went full strength. They went, f- uh, they went full out, and it was a game. So they've done the exact opposite to Leinster, who are up to fifty-six players now used this season, which. Somebody's going to look at it at some stage and question maybe there might be some limit put there eventually. They played a full-strength team yesterday. To lose. to lose. They had to. It was a massive top 14 game against It was in Claremont. the stadium, you know, the, the football stadium, 33,000 yeah. sellouts. You can't top messing, two can't in the top 14. Fixture, like. Amazing. Possible, possible precursor for the actual top 14 final because it's contra- so far and away the, the best. The contrast with, with what Leinster were able to do over the weekend is, is massive. Like, mm. it's extraordinary when you think about it. Yeah. yeah. Leinster's form is a little bit worrying, there's no doubt about it. Mm. I think to lose are a more dangerous side than they were in January. I was at both games mm. and I still think Leinster should have won that first match in mm. Toulouse, let them mm. off the hook. Back in the RDS in January, they were properly focused forward at full strength and did a number on them, much like Ireland did to France. They just starved Toulouse of possession. They were excellent that day. That's what gives me real hope about the Leinster chances this weekend because if you look at their European form this season, it's been quite good, particularly at home. Like they've filleted teams at home in their three home mm. pool matches. Um, and I think that uh, I think that they might well try and do the same. But Toulouse, they respond to that defeat in January by winning six in the spin. They've only lost two games in their last 24, God, which is remarkable It's been some season for Toulouse from, from unpromising beginnings. Yeah, now. and they send out a B-side. They, they keep send out, getting better and better. Yeah, they send out an Espoirs to Toulon two weeks ago when they lost that mm. one. So you can... You, They've just, they've almost literally forgotten how to lose, if you pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. And uh, they play a very fearful, fearless brand of rugby. They'll have a go. They'll the transition. They'll transition. Yeah, they are. They'll transition from defence to attack. But I just think Leinster will control the game in a way that no other team is going to control a game against to lose the top 14. Just, to be, just to be nitpicking, um, Leinster went with their second, third string and got beaten. Munster went to Italy and it was the biggest game in Treviso's history, mm. arguably, to get in. Yeah. And with this, like, this, the team that nobody from the team I think well two players from the team will, will be picked and either O'Donoghue or Clode will come mm. back and um, Munster won a game that they really shouldn't have won so the spirit of the Munster camp going to Coventry is yes. is right where they need it to be mm. Leinster are a little bit different but I expect they'll produce their best performance of the season Heineken Cup final finalists I'd go Leinster Saracens in form you'd have to think they're the big heavyweight too but I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't rule Munster out mm. I'm going to go with a Munster-Leinster final in St. James's Great. Park <laughs> in the middle of May uh, <laughs> like on Tyneside. Imagine, because uh, I was thinking about it over the weekend there. Um, it's not... Uh, you, in 2009 in Crow Park is never going to be topped no. for uh, an event outside of an Ireland international in rugby. Um, but but a, sending the two but of them to Newcastle <laughs> will come pretty close. Uh, yeah, that would be just uh, how to get to Newcastle. I just think that Munster... Kind of gone against it because I'm not certain about Tyler Blenhall delivering and all that, but I, I think their um, their pack can match the Saracens' pack. There's a couple of the, the Saracens' front row is that they slightly dipped down from other years, so I just edge towards Munster. It could be a beautiful thing. Listen, lads, thanks for coming in, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks to Philip, who we had on earlier talking about the golf. Thanks to you, Pat. Thanks, Paul. Thanks to Declan and Jenny behind the desk, and uh, we will talk to everyone next week. Cheers, folks. <laughs>